Good morning, my brothers and sisters. You pardon me just a moment while I get a few things ready here. I, for on behalf of my wife and myself, I thank you all for our lodging we had last night. It was very comfortable. And I thank Rex and Debbie for their kindness and hospitality to us yesterday. And I bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters in Christ at Sovereign Grace Chapel in Crow, West Virginia. And also from Paul and Paula Pendleton. And I'm glad to be back. Really glad to be back. I have a song. This is my practice on Sunday mornings, generally when I'm at chapel, but my fellow pastor Joe Galusic almost always sends me a song either on Saturday evening or Sunday morning and I always read it to the congregation to whomever I'm preaching that Sunday. This is a song by Joseph Hart. Looked him up online and says he was a staunch Calvinist. I wonder what that means. That's what he wrote. And I'm not going to try to read it in the cadence of the tune of the song because I don't know the tune of the song. I just I like the words. Jesus is the chiefest good. He has saved us by his blood. Let us value naught but him. Nothing else deserves esteem. Jesus, when stern justice said, man his life has forfeited. Jesus said, vengeance follows by decree. But he cried, inflict it all on me. Jesus gives us life and peace, faith and love and holiness. Every blessing, great and small, Jesus freely gives us all. Jesus, therefore, let us own. Jesus, we exalt alone. Jesus has our sins forgiven, and Jesus will take us to heaven. Not too many songs sound like that in our day, is there? Hmm? Not too many. I have one other thing I want to give you before I start my message in earnest. Professing Christianity often earmarks certain things that you can't do if you're truly a believer. In other words, that person can't be a believer because they did this. Or that person can't be a believer because they did that. I won't go any further with what they often say, but I say, okay, okay. Let me give you a few things that a true believer cannot do. Okay? A few things a true believer cannot do. A true believer cannot repent too often. A true believer cannot love too selflessly. A true believer cannot give too cheerfully. A true believer cannot hate his sin too strongly. A true believer cannot seek Christ too often. A true believer cannot love Christ too much. A true believer cannot exalt Christ too highly. A true believer cannot believe God too firmly. And last but certainly not least, a true believer cannot reject gospel perversion too severely. Those are some things that a true believer cannot do too much of. All right, if you would, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Habakkuk chapter 3. And if you're like me, you have a little trouble finding some of those books. It's about three or four books back from the last one in the Old Testament. Give you just a moment to get to it. Habakkuk chapter 3 if you're wishing to follow along. I will read just two verses, the first two verses of Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shagayanoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Here's what I want to point out. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Such a short prayer. In the English, translated, of course, from the Hebrew, it's just 33 words. But oh, my soul, what messianic hope Habakkuk cries out with. What desire for any believer to cry just these four words. In wrath, remember mercy. So let's consider, first of all, God's wrath. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In just a couple verses I want to read there, but I want to point out something. We're considering now, remember, in wrath, remember mercy. But let me say, first of all, God's wrath is much more than just the great white throne judgment. Look at Romans 1, and in verse 18 we read this, For the wrath of God is... Do you see that next word? I-S. Is. For the wrath of God is. Not shall be one day, though that is true. But here the Apostle Paul is moved by God the Spirit to say, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And I will read no more the rest of the chapter, but look at it. Here's God's wrath now. God gives some people over to a reprobate mind. That's wrath. And that's wrath that God pours out now. May I be so bold as to say that we see God pouring out that wrath upon this nation right now in our day. Our very day is a sad commentary. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. But here's a second thought. God's wrath is vouchsafed even in his dear son. Here's an amazing thing. Turn to Revelation, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we want to look at chapter 6. Revelations chapter 6. I have a few verses to read here, but I want us to, oh God, the Holy Spirit, enlighten our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see what we will read here in God's book. Remember, I said, secondly, God's wrath is vouchsafed in his dear son. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. 
And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains, here it is, and the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. And then look at this next phrase. From the wrath of the Lamb. You see that? The wrath of the Lamb. Seems to be a juxtaposition of words. Wrath and God's Lamb. But those things go hand in hand in God's sovereign purpose. Hide us, hide us from him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand. But here's a third thought about God's wrath. Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Before I read these few verses, let me say this. God's wrath is not uncontrolled rage. Mine is. Mine is. You can ask that woman right there. My wrath is when I lose control. It'll show its ugly head. But look at what it says. John chapter 2. Let me get my spot. Look at verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge. You see that? Of course. He didn't just pick up something. He sat there and started weaving this thing together. Weaving this thing together. He's in absolute control of himself. He is who he is by intrinsic power. He was not a created being. This is God Almighty manifest in the flesh. And he's weaving together a scourge. scourge. And look at what it says. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables. This is him exercising his wrath in full control of himself. And he said to them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So we see God's wrath is much more than just something that's going to happen in the future. It can and does happen even now. We see that God's wrath is vouchsafed in His Son. His blessed dear Son. And we see Jesus Christ as having full control of sovereign wrath. And yet, none of these fit 
Habakkuk's cry. In wrath, remember mercy. Well, think about that phrase. In wrath, remember mercy. There's no remembering of mercy in these first three areas that I've mentioned. But one more thing about God's wrath. One more thing. God shows his wrath willingly and righteously. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. God shows his wrath willingly and righteously. Romans 9 verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Someone says, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. No more, but absolutely no less. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Absolutely not. God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Verse 22, What if God, here we go, willing to show his wrath. You see, false Christianity often portrays God as loving. Now, not as love, but as loving. Loving, loving. But man just keeps rebelling and keeps rebelling. And finally, God's wrath just boils over and God strikes out. This is not so. What if God willing to show his wrath? wrath what's that to us it's none of our business we are the creatures he is the creator he does as he pleases in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth but this is wrath or mercy you see this is either wrath or mercy not both working together in wrath. Remember mercy. Do you see it? Habakkuk cries out. This is his prayer. A 33 word prayer in the English. And four of these stands out with majestic, sweet, messianic hope. In wrath, remember mercy. Hmm. But we're not done yet with wrath. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now we also read this. That God shows mercy in spite of men's wrath toward him. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children among, of disobedience. My brothers and sisters, Paul wrote this to people whom he called predestinated and chosen and redeemed by God. But he said, you were just like everybody else. By nature, we are no different than the reprobate. 
Those that God hates, those that God casts off, those that God does not move, those that God does not touch. By nature, we're just like everybody else. And all of us, by nature, were under satanic influence. We may not have been possessed of the devil. Some people have been and maybe are. But we're all under satanic influence by nature. Look at it. Among whom also we all had our way of life, our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But here's what I want to point out. And we're by nature the children of wrath. Not children under wrath, the children of wrath. It's in the possessive sense in the Greek. It's our wrath toward God. We hated God. Oh, we may not have hated our own thoughts about God, but we hated the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God, who is rich in mercy. You see that? When I was, maybe I wasn't doing it physically, but when I was shaking my fist in God's face, when I was saying, I'll have my own way, and I will not let this man reign over me. I won't have it. Yet he was reigning over me the whole time. But God, who is rich. Aren't you glad he's rich in mercy? He don't have just a couple pocketfuls. I'm going to put it in a, he's filthy rich. In mercy. That's what this corrupt, defiled, ungodly sinner needs. The God who is rich in mercy. Because I'm still like that in my old man. My old man is still and will always be corrupt according to deceitful lusts. But God who is rich in mercy. <clears throat> that ought to be enough. We should be able to stop right there. But I'm not going to. Because we still haven't got to, in wrath, remember mercy. Think about it. This still does not meet the cry of Habakkuk. I'm going to paraphrase what Habakkuk says. Oh God, in an act of your wrath, may that very act of wrath be you remembering mercy. That's what Habakkuk's cried. In wrath, in wrath, remember mercy. You see, it is not instead of wrath, remember mercy, though that's certainly true. But that's not what Habakkuk was crying for. It's not what he prayed for. It is not, instead of wrath, remember mercy. Nor is it, in spite of our wrath, remember mercy. Though that is certainly true, but that's not what Habakkuk cried out for. Nor is it, when you show wrath, remember mercy. That's, that's not what Habakkuk cried. He said, in wrath, remember mercy. So now we've come right down to the nitty gritty. There is only one place and there is only one person in which this has ever been true. And that's the blessed Son of God when He hung on Calvary's tree. 
Never before had this ever been done. And never before will it ever need to be done. Because in wrath, God has remembered mercy. We're not even praying for it to take place. We thank God it has taken place. In wrath, He remembered mercy. It is when God poured out His wrath upon the person of His dear Son. In that very act of wrath, God was being merciful to me and to you. The very same wrath was mercy toward me. Because since God poured it out on His Son, that wrath He poured it out on His Son, He cannot... You hear what I just said? Because He's God. He cannot pour it out on me if I'm in Christ. In wrath, He was remembering mercy. But why would He do such a thing? Religion merely says, well, just because He loved us. Well, that's certainly true. I would not argue that. But turn to the book of Galatians, the epistle of Galatians. And look at just a couple things here. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Look at what verse 13 and 14 says. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why did God pour out His wrath upon Him? Being made a curse for us. I can't explain this. But God didn't call me to be in the explaining business. He called me to be in the proclaiming business. God poured out His wrath upon His blessed Son, who was, when He hung on that tree, just. He was the just one. But at the same time, He was made a curse. Can't explain it. Somebody says both at the same time? Both at the same time. Just like He was God and man at the same time. Can't explain it. I just preach it. He was made a curse. God the Father looked upon the Son. Curse it. Curse it. But you know why he did that? Not because of any fault in him, but because he was bearing in his own body my sins on the tree. And he was bearing in his own body your sins on the tree if you're in Christ Jesus. God dealt with my sin in wrath. But praise God, He dealt with it upon the person of the Son. And He doesn't deal with it on me. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why would God show the Son wrath? Here's why. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For He, that is the Father, hath made Him, that would be the Son, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hmm. An amazing thing. Can you imagine? Let me, let me try to explain this. Try to give an illustration. Ever had your conscience eat you alive? Because of some fault, some sin? Keep you awake at night? And you cry out for forgiveness? Mercy and grace, but the conscience just won't quit. And time goes on. Calm down. 
You kind of forget about it. But then something happens, a smell or a, an event, a circumstance that brings that long ago fault up and the conscience starts chewing. Huh? That's just over one act. Imagine the Lord Jesus Christ bearing in His own body all the sins of all the elect of all time. Now turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Think about it. In wrath, remember mercy. Psalm 22. These are the words of Christ. Some of these things were literally spoken by Him while He hung on the, that tree. But all of them came from in hearing Him when He hung on that tree. And this first phrase, My God, my God, why Hast thou forsaken me? That's wrath. That's wrath. You know why God forsook him? Because at that time he deserved to be forsaken. Because God the Father seen sin in his son. Mine and yours. God dealt with him by turning his back. My God, my God, why? I, I, I can't cry that out. When I was in rebellion against him, he never turned his back on me. He never did. He kept me safe. I should have been dead in a ditch somewhere. God should have killed me years ago, but yet he protected me. Watched over me in all of my folly. And then he called me by his grace. And I was in a god-awful place of gospel perversion and was even a promoter of this gospel perversion. And God sent the gospel to me back up in the country mountains of West Virginia. Sent one young man along that had the gospel. And God rocked my world. Changed everything. Brought me down to the feet of Jesus Christ. And I didn't know it then. I, I couldn't have articulated this to you then. But in wrath, God had remembered mercy on me. What He did for me was because the wrath had already been meted out in His Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? I can't relate to that. Oh, sometimes I may feel that way, but it's just a fleeting thought of no consequence whatsoever. God the Father actually turned his back on the Son and forsook him. Wasn't it, was it Martin Luther, God forsaking God? Can't fathom that. But it happened. Nonetheless, but look, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. How can that both be true? Remember that the sun went black when he hung that tree? Hmm? He hung there in sunlight, and then God veiled everything. God turned his back on his son. It was between God the Father and God the Son. And thank God it wasn't between God the Father and us. 
He dealt with his son only and his son personally when he forsook him on that tree so that God would never turn his back on me and on you. I like that. That's a message that I could kind of get a hold of and just... I can breathe. My conscience starts to calm down then. I get a little relief from that nagging guilt. When I wake up in the morning, I feel guilt. When I drive to work, I feel guilt. I feel so unclean. But when I realize God in wrath has remembered mercy, I can breathe. I can breathe. Look at Psalm 40. Look at Psalm 40. Now we know this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> That's clear in verses 7 and 8, which are quoted in the Hebrews of being of Christ himself. But what I want to concentrate on this is verse 12. For in, This is Christ on that tree. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Whoa, wait a minute. Mine iniquities. What? My brothers and sisters, he so fully took upon himself our sins, he called them his own. I can't fathom such mercy. You know good and well, somebody accuses you of something you didn't do. Maybe you ain't as bad as me. Oh, that eats at me. Somebody accuse. I've got enough you can accuse me of, and it's true. They come along then and accuse me of stuff I didn't do. And yet God the Father turned His back on the Son and the Son never did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, He always did everything right. And yet He was so joined to me on that tree that He called my sins and your sins His own. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart relinquisheth. It loosens. Aren't you glad we will never experience what Christ experienced on that tree? Because if we ever do, it will take an eternity for it to settle the score. That's why the lake of fire is forever. Because man's suffering, fallen man's suffering, never, never settles the score but the righteous son of God when he suffered on that tree was made a curse and was made sin that settled the account forever I like that message <laughs> what I used to believe it don't compare to that message what I used to believe was yes God showed wrath now he might remember mercy if you do. Isn't that what's preached out here? Now come on. Yes, God showed wrath to the Son. And He might remember mercy if you do this or that. If you believe. But I'm so filled still with unbelief. Right? <laughs> Some has to take care of my unbelief. Christ suffered for it when He on that tree. In, in wrath, God was remembering mercy toward me. Hmm. Let's look at more. Be, 
Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed that that confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. He was not praying for everybody when he hung on that tree. Or maybe he was. But it was not a positive prayer, is it? You see it? Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha, you're getting what you deserve. Hmm? Look though, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But he's still not out from under that agony. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying. Oh my God. And we're told in the book. If you look these things out. It says he bowed his head. After crying what? Paid in full. Now that's the way we'd say it today. He cried it is finished. Paid in full full and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost you know what God did three days later raised him up from the dead raised him up from the dead know where he is now seated seated at the right hand of God the Father remember Isaiah is most clear Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53 let's concentrate just on a couple a few verses the last few verses look at it yet it pleased the Lord that's the word being satisfied that doesn't mean God sat up there and laughed at the son when the son died that's not what this talking it means God was satisfied pleased satisfied yet it pleased now notice the Lord to bruise him who bruised him Oh yeah, men beat him to a pulp. They they beat him so badly that you could not recognize who he was. They pulled, they plucked out his beard. They buffeted him with their fists. They spit on him. They took a reed and hit him on the top of the head and then just planted a crown of thorns. And then they beat his back mercilessly for he was nothing but a bloody mess. The book of God says you couldn't even recognize who he was. Paraphrased couldn't even recognize who he was. That wasn't the worst of it. The father then turned his back on him in that state. That's wrath. Awake, O sword, against the man that is my fellow. And the sword of God's wrath awoke that day. Like it had never been awakened before. Even Sodom and Gomorrah did compare to that. Because this is the righteous, just Son of God, and God's plunging the sword of His wrath into His righteous soul. Even the flood don't compare to that. And yet He was thinking on us. <laughs> like the old high priest of old, He had our names on the breastplate written in the stones of His glory. 
He was thinking about me when He died on that tree. He was thinking about you when He died on that tree if you're in Christ. And when He said it's finished, it's paid in for, He talked about my debt. He's talking about your debt. Heavenly Father, may this encourage us. Not my words, Lord, but Your Word. May what You have spoken in Your Word give us comfort. May it, may it from this old clay pot, Lord, may it not be the pot, but may it be the message. May it strengthen us for another day. So You're pleased to either come back and get us or take us out of this morass and this mess. Lord, bow us under Thy providential circumstances. God calls us always to look to thee in the person of thy son. In his name I pray. Amen. All right, I'm done.